I'm Esther Armar. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. It is that time for an hour where smart is sexy. The Spin, our weekly all-women of colour media panel. I'm coming to you live from Star FM's studios in Accra, Ghana. Our contributors are on the line via NPR Washington, D.C. We are on air nationally across the United States and internationally in Ghana and Nigeria. This program is brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. Today on The Spin, we have two main event discussions. First, Valuing Black Lives 2016, the second annual Global Emotional Emancipation Summit in Washington, D.C. We talk emotional emancipation, what it is, what it means, why it's crucial now. And our second discussion, Star Spangled Protest. Colin Kaepernick's protest goes global. All of that coming up. Our contributors this week are Enola G. Aird and Dr. Cheryl Grills. Enola G. Aird is a lawyer and the founder and president of Community Healing Network, Inc. She's the originator of the Valuing Black Lives Global Summit and Emotional Emancipation Circles. Dr. Cheryl Grills is a clinical psychologist and past president of the Association of Black Psychologists, under whose leadership the Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists collaboration was launched. Dr. Grills is also the Association of Black Psychologists' lead for the Emotional Emancipation Circles Initiative and Summit Planning and a community-based participatory research on social justice issues and African-centered psychology. Welcome, welcome, ladies. Well, hello. Great to be with you. Nice to be with you. Time for the first of our main event conversations. What is emotional emancipation? And what does that mean for a global black people? Here's what the late, great Bob Marley said about emancipation. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Valuing Black Lives 2016, the second annual Global Emotional Emancipation Summit, will take place on September 15th and 16th in Washington, D.C. It's presented by the Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists. The 2016 summit theme is We Talk, We Tell, We Teach, Reclaiming Control of the Narrative Governing Our Lives. Its aim? To address the root causes of the continuing attacks on black people which have sparked outrage, protest and unrest in communities of color throughout the country and around the world. The summit's focus? Solutions to these root causes. California Democratic Representative Karen Bass, ranking member of the United States House of Representatives Africa Subcommittee, will host Valuing Black Lives as part of the 46th Annual Legislative Conference of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. There will be people attending from grassroots and national and international organizations, including Black Lives Matter and the United Nations. They will come together with people from Africa, Europe, the Caribbean and Latin America. In Dr. Cheryl Grill's TED Talk, Emancipation from Mental Slavery, she spoke about the need to collectively act in a world that has labeled your being and brilliance as substandard and will snatch your life just because it can. Listen. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. 
The plan is that we must and will go far in this journey for freedom from mental slavery. And so I stand here before you today as part of something much bigger than myself, representing the heart and soul of the collective efforts of Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists. So, imagine a world where your intelligence is deemed to be substandard. You graduate from high school, valedictorian, but are told that maybe you might get into a state college, forget private universities in the Ivy League. And you watch your incredibly talented brothers barely finish high school and forever bury their talents in their dreams. Imagine a world where in college you live every day in fear that someone will realize you are an imposter. You do belong in a state college. Even though you end up graduating magna cum laude with honors in two majors from Yale University. Imagine a world where you get followed in department stores, passed over in favor of other customers in restaurants, skipped for beverage service in first class, denied an apartment because of your race, get asked, how'd you get a PhD? And countless times hear, wow, you're so articulate for a black person. Imagine a world where you go to bed each night praying that your male children make it through another day without falling victim to hands that swore to serve and protect and, and hands from a community that struggles not to turn on itself. Imagine a world where your heart breaks often as you see a steady stream of dreams deferred, talented, talents unrealized, hopes dashed, and lives snatched away in their prime. Welcome to my world. Dr. Grills, like Bob Marley, reminded a global black people that mental slavery is part of the legacy of enslavement and colonialism. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King also spoke of a black people reimagining themselves. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian civil rights bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly, and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. 
This is a global conversation here in Ghana. Professor Kofi Asari Opoku, a former director of the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana, called for cultural studies to be included in Ghana's education system and an end to the anti-black mindset that is the legacy of colonialism. He was speaking at an event organized by Webster University Ghana Campus and the Young African Leaders Initiative known as YALI, created by President Obama. Professor Opoku said, quote, Our ancestors said, you don't borrow somebody else's teeth to smile. They also said every bird flies with its own wings. Have you seen a bird borrowing somebody else's wings? What we have to realize is that we have wings and we can fly. What does it mean to relinquish the lie of white superiority and black inferiority? What does that look like? Let's talk Emotional Emancipation and Valuing Black Lives 2016, the second annual Global Emotional Emancipation Summit. Enology Ed, let me start with you. What exactly is emotional emancipation? Thank you, Esther. It's, um, it's freedom from the lies of white superiority and black inferiority, which have kind of confined us for 500-plus years now as people of African ancestry. Uh, 500 plus years ago, there was created this kind of hierarchy of humanity with white people at the top and black people at the bottom, and black people even sometimes outside of the circle of humanity as less than human. We know the reasons why, to justify the enslavement of African people, to justify the exploitation of the African continent, the richest on the face of the earth. The problem is that this, is, this, this mindset, this anti-black mindset, has been with us for 500 plus years. It's inserted itself, insinuated itself into every aspect of our lives. And what we're saying in the call for emotional emancipation, we're simply repeating what Martin Luther King said when he talked uh, about the need for psychological freedom, what Garvey talked about when he said emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, what Vico talks about when he says, you know, the, the most potent weapon in the mind of the, in, in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. We are talking about freeing ourselves of these lies forever, for once and for all. It's freedom from the toxic stereotypes that have burned and limited us for years. It's uh, the, the freedom to walk the streets without people looking at us with all of these stereotypes in their minds and having those stereotypes drive their actions to the point where they want to kill us. So we are really uh, working to free ourselves once and for all from these lies, our goal is to um, create spaces where we can share our stories, understand how it is that these, these lies continue to bedevil us, that they are really, in fact, the, the foundation of anti-black racism. And until we deal with the foundations of anti-black racism, we'll continue to, to be stuck with continuing health disparities, with people killing us for absolutely no reason other than the fact that we're black. Uh, we'll continue to hurt ourselves with the skin lightening epidemic in parts of the, the Caribbean and parts of uh, Africa. Uh, it is a fundamentally about being able to love ourselves again and to reclaim our dignity and our humanity as people of African ancestry. And Dr. Cheryl um, Grills, talk a bit about the psychology of this from your point of view as a clinician and why it's important for you to come on board and bring that expertise to this conversation. So what we're trying to do is to bring about a mass healing 
um, to overcome and overturn the lie of black inferiority, which we believe is the root cause of the devaluing of black lives. But in order to do that, we have to become conscious and aware ourselves um, and understand that these lies are real, that they have been with us over multiple generations, that they continue to have an impact on our lives today and influence how we see ourselves and how we see each other. And then through that conscious awareness, then be able to become active agents in defining our own identity, our own reality, and engage in collective community work to provide the kind of world in which we can actually see ourselves as free, but not just physically free, but emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually free, that we can create a world of emotional emancipation for ourselves, for our children, our families, our communities, our people everywhere in the world, and that we realize in this process that we have to put on our agenda time for healing. Now, you know, we are, in fact, a very resilient people, um, and we have made a way out of no way. But, you know, at some point we have to realize that even as we, have sta- as we stand tall on the shoulders of our ancestors um, and that we are resilient, we cannot escape generations of physical, psychological, and spiritual abuse and terror and the ever-present racial microaggressions that um, impact our lives. We have to understand that we are dealing with historical trauma, um, a a complex trauma that's inflicted on a group who share a group identity, and in our case, ethnicity uh, and nationality, and that there's a, a legacy that comes with that historical trauma. We have to understand that we're dealing with cultural trauma where the, the integrity of our own cultural reality, the lens through which we see the world, has been challenged and assaulted. And in many instances, um, through a number of strategies, um, taken away from us or put in the back corners and recesses of our minds as we take on, uh, as Dr. Apoku said, the, the teeth of someone else in order to smile. And so in, the, in this process through emotional emancipation, we try to identify and help people realize some of the psychological and societal effects of the lies, this notion of implicit and explicit bias, the implicit bias being the unconscious stereotypes and attitudes that we internalize that reflect hundreds of years of the devaluing of black lives going all the way back to the Portuguese in the uh, mid-1400s. We have to understand that the lies are psychologically harmful, that they can actually cause racial stress and bring with that feelings of anger and anxiety and helplessness and frustration and resentment and low self-esteem, but that we don't have to remain burdened by that. And we also have to understand that this this process, this racial stress, can also be physically damaging to us. And there's enough research now to bear this out that showing a host of medical conditions that tax our immune system, our neuroendocrine system, our cardiovascular system, contributing to things like hypertension, cardiovascular disease, respiratory problems, obesity, diabetes, 
uh, and more. And finally, that the lies negatively, negatively affect our perception of ourselves and of others. And so we have the ability to take this, this on, the bull by the horns, and reverse this deadly mindset and its effects on us. And the emotional emancipation circles process is a way to do that. They, you know, James Baldwin says that people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. As a people of African ancestor, we are definitely trapped in history. There's a, you know, these, these historical forces have, have, have us constrained. It's like being in a matrix everywhere we are, in Africa and across the diaspora. And so for us, this is a matter of saying we are absolutely determined to escape. We recognize that we're in a matrix and we want out. That matrix that exists right now is <clears throat> framed by a narrative that assumes our inferiority and our less thanness as human beings. We need to create a new narrative for ourselves, a narrative founded on our humanity, on the, the humanity of, uh, of, of ourselves as, as African people. And so that's what this summit is about. It's about trying to figure out <clears throat> what are the contours of their narrative and how does it confine us. And now, how might we begin to plot our escape from their narrative? One of the things we're going to be doing during the summit is really coming up with a list of exhaustive list of suggestions of ways in which we can, in fact, free ourselves of their narrative and begin to write our own. And talk about who the summit is open to in terms of attendance. Um, is it open to um generic attendance or is it an invite only just break that down for us we we have invite we've issued an invitation to people across the diaspora we're interested in people in in having a conversation an internal conversation uh <clears throat> of pe- within uh, our community uh, of people of african ancestry from wherever we are we have people coming from sweden from france from uh latin america uh from africa uh, and so the, the the question is for us as a people those of us who identify as people of African ancestry and are, can be identified as people of African ancestry, that's who the conversation is for. I was born in Panama. I live in the United States now. I have West Indian parentage. And I, I, my, my experience tells me that wherever we are, whenever we look like we do, we are under attack. And in this, the second, um, second year of the, in, uh, the international decade for people of African descent, when we're all trying to figure a way out, for us, this is the most important thing that we can do is to figure out how do we focus on the root causes as, 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 a, as a community across the diaspora. How, would, how do we focus on the root causes of the challenges that beset us wherever we are in the world? We want to um, help our people reclaim the right to see the world unveiled. Um, just as, as Harriet Tubman said, she said, I freed thousands of slaves. I could have freed thousands more if they knew they were slaves. We have been fed so many uh, bits and pieces of misinformation and miseducation uh, and deflection from seeing the realities and the truth uh, that we don't necessarily know what we don't know we don't know. And then we're left trying to understand why we're feeling the way we're feeling as we try to manage uh, unconscious racial stress and in many other instances, very conscious racial stress. You know, uh, in, in announcing the International Decade for People of African Descent last year, Sam Kutesa, who was then the head of the General Assembly, said that, you know, we 
can celebrate um, freedom, uh, freedom of the body in some sense. But unless one of the one of the things that continues to bedevil black people across the world, and he talked to, in fact, uh, black black people in, on the continent, is this what he called the slavery of the mind. And what we are interested in is focusing on that slavery of the mind and freeing ourselves across the board. And freeing the world. I mean, when we started the Emotional Emancipation Circles movement, we were thinking in terms of how do we free our, how do we free our minds? How do we figure out a way to, 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 uh, to be healthier in the system of racism that, that encloses us? And then we decided, you know, why should we force our children to, to have to, to, to contort themselves to, to live in this, in this space that is... Um, hostile to them. Why then don't we spend time, in addition to figuring out how do we free our minds, how do we free the world of these toxic ideas that were created 500 plus years ago? Our view is that anything that is created can be destroyed, and it is our aim to make sure to do that within a very reasonable period of time. Our goal, in fact, is to engage a critical mass of black people in this movement toward emotional emancipation in the journey toward emotional emancipation by the year 2019 so that by the year 2020 we will as a people begin to have a very different view a vastly different view of ourselves in this world and how we 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 are how we can act how the power that we have the agency that we have in this world we'll have a different vision of ourselves um in this world Valuing Global Black Lives 2016, the second annual Emotional Emancipation Summit. That was the first of our two main event discussions. I've lost touch with reality of racism, sexism and nationality. Just to me, all seems like insanity. Why must I rob you of your humanity to feel good about mine? It's all about crime, dehumanizing, how I justify them. So I must keep lying about the history of Africa. So I can live with the massacres and repeat my mantra. Muslim terrorists so I can sleep at night as bombs take flight. Eyes open wide but I'm blind to the sight. Too busy chasing the perfect. Life and the working class keep them uneducated. Truly educated men can never be a racist. Educate is to draw out what is within. Are we not all the same under the skin? I got a heart like yours that pumps blood and oxygen. And insecurities, a whole lot of them. I'm scared like you deep down. I really do care that the world's not fair like you. But I don't even believe my own prayers like you. Chasing career, going nowhere like you. Lost in a fog of my own insecurity. I hold myself up as an image of purity. And I judge everybody else by the colour of the skin or the size of their wealth But it's not good for my health Is the only one I ever really judge is myself The oppressor must suffer like the oppressed Though I pretend I'm in control of this mess By inflating my ego, puffing my chest See our weakness and I need to show strength for what we think strong is Cause if we're honest, true strength is the strength to be honest And if I'm honest, I am just tired If I'm honest, I am just tired you're listening to The Spin, a one-hour weekly all-women-of-color media panel. I'm your host, Esther Almar. Our contributors this week are Enola G. Ed and Dr. Cheryl Grills. The Spin is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. I'm live in Star FM studios in Accra, Ghana. We are on air across the United States in Arizona, Ohio, North Carolina, New Jersey, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Iowa. We are on air 
in West Africa, in Ghana on Star FM 103.5 and in Lagos, Nigeria on WFM 91.7. And we are online via podcast. You don't represent nothing, you're just pretending. When was the last time you ever played Hendrix or Miles Davis or John Coltrane or Ella Fitzgerald or Billy Holiday? We can call it urban. To me, that's cool. If urban means street, that includes jazz too and rock for that matter. Go ask Mick Jagger or Jimmy Page what they were listening to. The blues, not discrediting Love Zeppelin too. Just giving credit where credit is due. That blood soaked word rappers still use. All it really shows is we still self abuse. That was the word that was used to kill Kelso, Cochrane and Emmett Till That was the word that the conscience eased And made people pleased to hung you from trees That was the word that let the whips crack No matter what you say, you can't take it back And I could say they're black so I feel the pain easier But 1915, look at Armenia It's the whole world, this human stupidity That would choke ourselves to death quite literally And I can talk with my comfortable mouth And my comfortable clothes and my comfortable house The tables will turn, we can but stall them Every empire on this earth has fallen so unless we can find another way maybe not today but it will come one day and it may sound like i'm bitter but in fact truth be told i am quite the opposite i wake every day and i'm overwhelmed just to be alive and be like no one else and the sheer weight of the thought of space is enough to keep my little ego in place all that we chase and try to replace all along it was right in our face the only way we can ever change anything's to look in the mirror and to find no enemy the only way we can ever change anything look in the mirror and to find no
Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. Oh, have no fear for atomic energy. Cause none of them can stop at the time. How long shall they kill our prophets? While we stand aside and look. Yes, some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you hear to sing? These songs of freedom is all I ever had. Redemption songs, all I ever had. Redemption songs, these songs of freedom, songs of freedom. Time for our second main event discussion. What do you do when you hear your country's national anthem? Do you stand and sing along? Do you stand and listen? Or do you protest? Colin Kaepernick chose to protest. Kaepernick is a black American professional football quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers of the National Football League, of course, the NFL. Kaepernick is biracial. In a preseason game against the Green Bay Packers, he stayed seated during America's national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, which of course refers to the stars and stripes of the American flag. In a statement, he said the following, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, it is bigger than football and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder, unquote. In an interview, he explained further. Take a listen. I mean, ultimately, it's to bring awareness and make people, you know, realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable for. And that's something that needs to change. That's something that, you know, this country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. These aren't new situations. This isn't new ground. It's things that have gone on in this country for years and years and have never been addressed, and they need to be. I'll continue to sit. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. Uh, To me, this is something that has to change. And when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, and this country is representing people the way that it's supposed to, I'll stand. His protest ignited a firestorm. It provoked national headlines. The internet exploded from radio shows to television shows to social media discussions. People were talking, ranting, praising, condemning. Some praised his protest. They called it courage. And they highlighted a history of protest by athletes and how that history elevated issues of injustice to mass audiences. That history includes Jackie Robinson, the African-American Major League Baseball second baseman who became the first African-American to play in the major leagues in the modern era. Robinson broke the baseball color line when the Brooklyn Dodgers started him as first base in April 1947. Robinson also engaged in nonviolent protest. In his 1972 autobiography, I Never Had It Made, Robinson wrote, I cannot stand and sing the anthem. 
I cannot salute the flag. I know that I am a black man in a white world, unquote. Then, of course, there was Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the two American Olympic runners who raised their fists in a black power salute during a medal ceremony at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City as the anthem was playing. That iconic moment also drew swift and ugly reaction. Another iconic sportsman who drew national headlines for his stance against injustice and war was the late great boxer and activist Muhammad Ali, who protested the Vietnam War. And there isn't just historic precedent, there are contemporary examples too. In 1996, Denver Nuggets player Mahmoud Abdul Rauf was criticized after he deliberately sat during the anthem. And in 2014, former Cleveland Cavaliers player Dion Waiters refused to be on the court for the anthem. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, considered one of America's greatest basketball players, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post supporting Colin Kaepernick's stand. He spoke to CNN's Jake Tapper about why he considered Kaepernick to be a patriot. The best way for me to describe it is he's doing just what uh, Thomas Jefferson said should be done uh, to, to speak out. And Jefferson said that it was important to protect the speech of people that you don't agree with, not the ones that you do agree with because freedom of speech is, is what helps make our country the greatest place on earth. And uh, we have to protect it for everybody. And uh, Mr. Kaepernick has some issues that he, he wants discussed. Uh, maybe people don't like his style or, or his timing, but uh, you know, he's, he's trying to call attention to issues that, that are important to him. And I, I think he has the right to do that. Even President Obama weighed in, saying the issues Kaepernick was highlighting needed to be addressed. Uh, he's exercising his constitutional right to make a statement. I think there's a long history of sports figures doing so. Um, I think there are a lot of ways you can do it uh, as, as a general matter. Uh, when it comes to the flag and the national anthem and uh, the meaning that that holds for our men and women in uniform and, and, and those who fought for us, um, you know, that is uh, a tough thing for them to get past to then hear uh, what his deeper concerns are. But I don't doubt his sincerity based on what I've heard. I think he cares about uh, some real legitimate issues that have to be talked about. In one piece in The Root with the headline Star-Spangled Bigotry, the hidden racist history of the United States National Anthem by Jason Johnson, he wrote, and I quote, In the case of our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, it is one of the most racist, pro-slavery, anti-black songs in the American lexicon, and you would be wise to cut it from your 4th of July playlist, unquote. Of course, July 4th is American Independence Day. There were those who were outraged. Some accused Kaepernick of lack of patriotism. Some called it an outright insult to the men and women of the U.S. military. And some angry fans even burned Kaepernick's jersey to show just how livid they were with the protest. And some argued the flag meant the best of America for them. Here's one mother whose military son died in Afghanistan explaining just that to CNN's Jake Tapper. The flag that... I see is the flag that draped my son's casket in honor, and I see the flag that was handed to my husband and I with deep respect from a grateful nation. When I look at the flag, 
I see the best of us. The Star-Spangled Banner was written by Francis Scott Key in 1814 about the American victory at the Battle of Fort McHenry. America only sings one verse, but there are three more, one of which references slavery directly. Here's what it says, quote, And where there is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country, should leave us no more, their blood has washed out their foul footsteps, pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. In 1814, slavery was still alive and flourishing. The American national anthem author himself owned slaves, was an anti-abolitionist, and once called his African brethren, quote, a distinct and inferior race of people, unquote. Land of the free, home of the brave. Let's talk this landscape of sports, race, protest, notions of patriotism, injustice, and that complicated star-spangled banner. Dr. Cheryl Grills, let me start with you. America is an interesting place that loves to create narratives uh, that glorify um, what America is, what its history is, um, and what its role in the world should be. We cherry-pick and choose uh, the things that we uh, educate our um, population, our community, our society 
about in terms of what it means to be American and what America is actually founded in. Uh, these are times that are trying men's and women's souls, and these are times that also present opportunities to enliven the principles of our Constitution to its, to its fullest intent, but only if we are informed and engaged citizens committed to the well-being of all members of our community. And so when I look at this uh, Kaepernick issue, uh, I'm struck by the fact that people don't know much about the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, they don't know much about the Constitution and who it was designed for and who was excluded from the Constitution. And people don't understand when there is bait and switch happening uh, on a regular basis. For example, as D.L. Hughley said um, uh, recently, it, this is not about how black people feel about America, but really about how America feels about us. And we need to be able to stay focused on that. Um, and also, I, I want to say that hey, our athletes are citizens, too. And they have the right, as citizens, to exercise um, the, what we call the Constitution. And so let me just quote someone that America used to love, and I believe still loves, and then juxtapose that to Kaepernick. This person said, each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring, those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Now, it seems to me that's what Kaepernick is trying to to uh, enliven in his own actions. Those words were spoken by Robert F. Kennedy while he was U.S. Attorney General in a speech at the Day of Affirmation at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Now, why doesn't that right extend to Kaepernick? It doesn't extend to Kaepernick because America has a desperate need to hold on to a narrative that creates an image of who we are as a society rather than dealing with the reality of the issues we must confront in a thoughtful, compassionate, and informed way. Enola Ed? I think this is it's a learning opportunity. It's a teaching opportunity. It's unfortunate, though, that um, it all takes place more sort of on the level of conversation and not... So for me, the question is, you know, what does this have to do... How does this improve the lot of the lives of black children in the United States and around the world? Um, unless we can find a way to do that, I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity for him to express himself, which I think he has every right to do and should be able to. But then how do we connect that into, in some way to concrete change for uh, black children? That's always my question. Uh, in, in, in a fundamental way, this has become more about him and less about the issue because everyone's, you know, discussing whether he had the right to do it and, and deflecting attention from the needs of black children. And so for me, it's always how do we connect, how do we make these stances meaningful in terms of concrete change in the lives of black people. And for us, it's uh, we would love an opportunity to engage with celebrities who are interested not just in talking about the symptoms of the problem, the symptoms of the problem, but the, the underlying root causes. That's what we want to get to. And unfortunately in America, 
given all of the, 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 the technology that we have, it's very, very easy to be distracted. In a couple of weeks or maybe another day or so, there'll be somebody else who's making some other stand, and there's such an inability for us to, to really to, to focus on the underlying issue and stay there for any length of time. So um, if this could be used to help us deal with root causes, I think that would be great. Unfortunately, I don't see that in the uh, near term. I want to ask you um, both. For me, there's a, the beauty and burden of this moment is the opportunity to, as a global people sitting here in Accra, Ghana, I received an entire history about the Star-Spangled Banner who wrote it, the fact that the person who wrote it owned slaves, was an anti-abolitionist, had said incredibly detrimental things about black people. And of course, when the Star-Spangled Banner, when the anthem was written, slavery was still alive and flourishing. And we we live with a legacy to this very day. But the moment, um, Colin Kaepernick's moment, allows for um, an additional history-making, history-telling moment. And as you said, Anola, it reminds us of how little is understood about something that people express so much pride about. And so I think part of white America's consistent issue is that it is addicted to a delusional notion of false innocence. And so it, it is always it always deflects, is easily distracted, and therefore denies the reality of how it is culpable in why a um, Colin Kaepernick would even make the gesture that he does. And so it, they make it all about the individual rather than recognizing the institutional structures about which Colin Kaepernick is even protesting. And so I wonder for you both if the opportunity to actually expand the conversation because of the expertise that you bring to the issue becomes something that the individual may have made the protest, but in making the protest created an opportunity. Because I think about the notion of how children are even educated about the Star Spangled Banner and its history. So sports, which is this beloved, supposedly national, supposedly neutral, but deeply partisan thing, becomes an opportunity to do more than just stare at Colin Kaepernick or even listen to him. But at this point, ask additional questions about why is this relationship what it is? What are the injustices he's speaking about? How do those injustices speak to the second annual Global Emotional Emancipation Summit? That there's a connection opportunity that can be made here. It is absolutely a question of the narrative. And there are so many ways. This is why for us this is so exciting because you know, it's sort of it's as though the universe is speaking and demanding that the that the record be corrected, that the narrative be corrected. There are so many individual places, and and Colin is part of that that call, right? So many places where people are are are, are saying, you know, they're they're doing things that are forcing us to look with 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 clearer eyes at the truth of 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 America, but more importantly, the Western world. Remember. The Western world, in fundamental ways, became what it has become on the backs of African people and the African continent. It's helping us to, to, to correct the narrative, and so I think you're absolutely right. This is great. Um, for us, we, we, we want to make that observation, but we want to stay at the deeper level of how do we, as black people, understand the narrative in, in a new way. How do we begin to think about writing a new narrative for ourselves? Um, and for us, the, the, the challenge is just staying focused because there's so many opportunities for distraction. So we, 
yeah, we, we, we take what we can from the, the Colin Kaepernick um, incident, but we don't want to get distracted. We want to stay focused because the work that we have to do is so, so deeply important and, and, and urgent because the, the, the longer we stay away from dealing with these root causes, the more our children die, the more pain we're in psychologically and, and physically. So we're trying to, to, to develop a, a kind of discipline about ourselves. We don't want to get distracted, and we want to urge other people not to get distracted as well. Right, and to add to what Enola <clears throat> just said, Zora Neale Hurston said, if you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. And so the reality for us in America and globally as people of African ancestry is that we are living in a world that is anti-African. We are living in a world that devalues our humanity. Anti-black. Right, anti-black. And so we have to understand that there are ways that we can come together and provide conscious reminders and information about what we must understand, what we must tell ourselves, what we must seek out, and what we must do to free ourselves, and that we can, from that, that ground, engage in action in terms of, uh, of what and how we think about things, our perception of things, our feelings about things, and our behavior in response to things. In other words, we become and reclaim the right to be the architects of our own lives. And that's why... We talk, we tell, we teach is about reclaiming, reclaiming the narrative and taking control of the narrative governing our lives, rejecting that narrative that has been um, promulgated and now uh, repeated so many times over the course of 500-plus years, and really declaring our independence of that narrative, freeing ourselves from it, going back to Baldwin, People are trapped in history, history is trapped in them, and we are saying what the movement about emotional emancipation is about is we are escaping. And those of us, those who want to come with us, we want you to come, but we're not staying here. That's your hour. Thank you to Enola G. Ed and Dr. Cheryl Grills. Thank you, Esther. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. For more information about the Valuing Black Lives 2016 Second annual Global Emotional Emancipation Summit, check out the SPIN's Facebook page. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies Of liberty Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling
march on till victory is won. Now, God of our weariness, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus By thy might, let us into the light. Keep us forever in the path. We pray. Has taught us a song full of the hope that the present has brought us facing the rising sun of our new day. Let us march on till victory is Yeah. 
you to the Spin Production team, sound editor Mark Torres, distributor Loretta Rucker, and the AAPRC. This Spin, your hour of talk, where smart is also, and always, sexy. I'm your host, Esther Armour. This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.